Quantum Marketing Radio, the marketing podcast for insurance agents and financial professionals. And welcome to another episode of the Quantum Marketing Radio. I'm your host, Louis Hillman, alongside the leveraged marketing guy, Jeff Thompson. Coming to you again from our top producer conference in Scottsdale, Arizona, we have the pleasure of welcoming Amanda Eldridge from First Insurance Funding Corporation to talk today about premium financing. And premium financing is probably the topic that gets the most questions out of anything we bring up to our producers. And I'm sure you get more inquiries about how it works and why it's important than you know what to do with. (laughs) Right, you know, and I think financing can be as complicated or as not complicated as you want it to be, but it can be daunting when you're first looking at it and have never done a case. Well, we obviously are talking how we can help our agents market, and Jeff is always talking about scaling up. And, um, you know, for somebody that hasn't approached premium financing as a solution for their clients, you know, what are you telling them? Why sh- should they be considering it? I think they should be considering it like they would if they were buying a house or a car. I mean, there's an established need for the policy or an established need for life insurance. And once they figure out how much insurance they need based on their goals and objectives, then you need to sit down and figure out, well, how do you want to finance it? Or how do you want to pay for it, right? You could write the check or you could finance it. So it's really just an, another option of paying for the premium. Um, I think, you know, a lot of times when you're, when you're, you know, think about when you're going to buy a house, you know, that you find the house that you want that fits your lifestyle, fits your needs and objectives. You don't sit down and go, okay, so when are you going to write the check? Here's how much it's going to cost. You, you look and say, well, maybe they've got the funds to write the check or maybe they, they would like to take out a mortgage um, and finance that house. It's the it's same principle, I think, with financing life insurance. You know, when you really break it down. Look and establish the need for life insurance, get the policy, and now decide how do you want to pay for it. And, and, and financing should be one of those options. Yeah, and that's obviously the case if you're dealing with that affluent market. Um, does it make more sense for them to spend their own dollars, or is there too big an opportunity cost there where it makes sense for them to do the financing alternative? We find a lot of the clients are really successful entrepreneurs. You know, they're businesses um, where they're earning double-digit returns. And so the last thing that they want to do is take money out of that business or that entity or that stock portfolio or whatever asset they have that's returning them, um, you know, a really high return to liquidate that to pay to put into a life insurance policy. So for them, you know, it makes sense. It's sort of that retained capital uh, theory where, you know, you leave the money where it's making the, the most for you and freeing up cash flow to do with what you want um, instead of putting it into a policy, which you know you need. But it's it's a non-correlated asset, right? You're you're expanding your portfolio, um, and you know you need the life insurance, and that it's a part of it. Um, but you're um, you're keeping the money where it's making you the most. Where is the market today? I mean, who are ideal clients? I mean, there has to be, I assume, a minimum net worth. Our what are minimum, you, who are you guys who are you guys looking to work with? Yeah, our minimum net worth is five million or more. Now that's not to say that's a hard and fast number. I mean, we'll certainly look at someone who's got really strong income, um, but maybe falls slightly below it. Um, you know, our minimum premium to finance is a hundred thousand dollars first year. 
So we, we cast a fairly wide net to be able to provide financing solutions. So we started 100000 with really no maximum. Um, so really it's going to be your, you know, creditworthy client who's, you know, got a fairly substantial net worth or at least, you know, has really strong income and their trajectory of their net worth is going up. Um, that's where our ideal client is. As far as uh, how you do case design, um, I mean, I know you don't at this point because of your new role. And I was a little confused, uh, you know, when you showed up here. I'm like, who is this Amanda Eldridge person? <laughs> but uh, so let's just clarify that okay. right now for everyone listening. Yes, I'm formerly Amanda Zukowski. I was with NFP for 11 years and supported ECA. Uh, as sort of the premium financing expert when I was with NFP, so I provided a lot of case design, and, you know, point of sale, um, finding lenders, uh, you know, basically from consulting to, to, to funding, um, I was there for you guys. And so it, back in September of last year, I decided to become the money and I jumped ship and went to go work for a lender. Uh, so, and, and I got married too, so it was a lot of changes in one year. Um, and so now I'm uh, Eldridge, but you can still call me Zukowski if you want to. I still answer to Zukowski. Good, I, at least now I know who I'm working with. <laughs> um, so my question, I guess, is really about um, what do you commonly see other than death benefit? Mm -hmm. How is a policy often used? Are, are people using this as a supplemental retirement strategy? We're seeing that quite a bit, actually. Where I would say, and, and I'll, I'll talk about it tomorrow in, the, in our presentation, um, but the majority of the policies that are being financed are cash accumulation, and we're seeing a shift to younger age. So um, more than half of the new policies, or um, excuse me, right around 50% of the new business that we did last year were to clients who were age 50 and younger. Mm. I mean, that's a big shift. I mean, if you look at 2008, um, the average age of our client was 69 years old. And, you know, fast forward to 2015, just, you know, a short period of time later, the average age of the client is 51. So you're seeing accumulation sales where you're seeing supplemental retirement or potentially using the policy as a source of income down the road, whether it be to retire the loan from the premium finance or simply to provide a stream of tax-free income. Or a pool of cash at a later date for the business to Absolutely. access. Absolutely. Okay. Great. Do you ever feel like you're um, competing against unfounded stigmas about the premium financing industry, maybe from... Not as much anymore. Um, I would say, you know, probably seven or eight years ago, there was definitely the wild, wild west. Um, you know, there was a lot of um, Stoli and Ioli that was done, um, you know, with with put, with financing. Um, and, and all of that's really gone. And I think, you know, if anybody is encountering that, then they're probably playing, you know, playing game. You know, it's not, not necessarily, it wouldn't be the stuff that we're looking at. Um, but I think the stigma with premium financing is the idea that somehow sometimes it's sold as free insurance, um, and that's not necessarily the case. It really should be just looked at as a as a, a way to leverage a client's current liquidity. I'm assuming we're seeing less of that because of the shift towards this accumulation Absolutely. approach. Yeah, um, you've got a, you've got a whole new product base that's out there. I mean, if you look at where products were in 2008, I mean. In 2010, you know, uh, indexed UL was something like a little over half of the new business that we're doing, and now it's it's 
three quarters of the business new business that we do. So, and I think you know that shift in just five years is really because there are different products that are out there. They've really changed indexed UL to cover a wider range of clients. You know, they're putting in. Um, lots of new features uh, that really appeal to a larger market. It's not just the, you know, under 45. I mean, you really can use Index UL with a lot and for a lot of different types of clients. And we've also seen an, an increase in whole life as well. So when you add those two together, both which are very accumulation focused, I mean, that's something like 98% of the new loans that we do or did in 2015 were. Which is significant. It's, sig- mean, it's very significant. It's not a death benefit focused strategy any longer no which is really what predominated for quite some time right yeah I I would definitely say don't look at premium financing as a loan for life type of situation certainly you can we'll keep loans on the books as long as you want as long as the client wants to you know service the interest or keep that loan in play we're more than happy if they can post collateral we would finance it until they until they die and death can be used as an exit strategy certainly um, but when you see a shift to younger age financing, you know, someone's not going to finance a policy for 50 years. Um, you know, they're going to, I think a, a well-planned exit strategy is, a, is, is something they should go into at the inception when they're looking at financing premium, thinking, okay, what, you know, asset am I earmarking that I'm going to liquidate, you know, or, um, you know, am I going to, you know, sell a piece of property, or am I going to use the policy cash surrender value as, as a, a method of, of getting out of the loan? I think if they kind of know at the time, or I'm setting up a side fund, if they know at the inception of kind of where they want to plan it out, and it meets their goals and objectives, then usually you're going to see, you know, them financing it for a shorter period of time. So as far as uh, agents that are looking at getting into premium finance, maybe for the first time, mm-hmm. uh, what are some of the big risks that they're going to have to explain to their clients what do you think the biggest risks uh, for a client engaging in a finance case would be? Well, there's loan rate risk, there's carrier risk, there's collateral risk. I mean, there's definitely, and and then I think it really just depends, you know, ultimately, um, you know, where's the client most risk averse? You know, do they feel um, comfortable posting collateral? Do they feel uh, comfortable with a variable loan rate? Do they feel comfortable with the carrier that they've gone with? I mean, there's even carrier risk there. You know, um, you know, if a carrier's ratings drop, you know, technically that could be a default provision. Now, most lenders, ourselves included, aren't going to just say, nope, sorry, we're getting out of the loan just because that carrier rating dropped. I mean, we'll certainly work with the client. But there's always risk. Some of them they can control, some of them they can't. And I think really it's just sitting down with the client to say, you know, here's, here's the premium finance transaction. Now let's really ask some questions and say, you know, let's look at your portfolio. Let's look at, you know, what collateral do you want to post? You know, are you comfortable with, you know, an interest rate environment where you have a variable loan rate that could reset on a monthly or annual basis? How comfortable you feel? Once you get the answers to those questions, there's really a lot of those risks you can mitigate. I mean, with a, with a variable loan rate, you could potentially fix rate or put in a cap. Um, you know, with a with collateral risk, you could say, well, then maybe you need a policy that has a guaranteed cash value writer. You know, something that that helps uh, have them not necessarily tap into that extra liquidity. Those types of things. Okay. What are some of the mistakes that you see? Maybe mistakes isn't the right word, but what are some of the um, uh, you know the, the the types of cases that agents bring to you? that they think are viable for premium financing and mm-hmm. you take a look at it and peel the onion back a little bit and say, you know, these are common 
reasons that it's not a viable premium financing case? I would say the biggest one is is taking a look at the client's net worth, and if the client can't afford to write the check, then they shouldn't be financing. This is premium financing is not for the client who can't afford the premium, but for the client who can and chooses not to. I think that's the the biggest distinction out there. I think a lot of times what happens is you know the client is very illiquid and you know would really have trouble just writing the check for the policy, and so they think well, let's go ahead and finance it, you know, that way we can reduce the, the impact on the cash flow of the client, and that's not really the case. I think there are other times, too, where you see that the client is, um, you know, maybe has a substantial net worth, but, um, you know, maybe the trajectory, maybe they have fixed income, or, or the question I always say, will the interest payments and the collateral requirements substantially affect the client's uh, standard of living? And if it's going to affect their standard of living, like substantially affect it or material affect it, then they may not be a good candidate for, for premium finance. Are the clients paying 100% of the interest? Typically. It, you know, honestly, from a lender perspective, we're fine with deferring the interest as long as the client can post the collateral to support it. Um, really where you're going to see that is with carrier guidelines. You're going to see you, there definitely carriers, you know, you know, Jeff, that, that um will restrict whether or not the client can defer the interest or not. So um, mostly we see clients paying the interest, uh, usually interest in advance. So they're, they're just paying it at the beginning of the year for the year. Um, but you can certainly, you certainly see it in a lot of different ways. They might pay it in arrears, like you know maybe on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis, or they might defer it. I want to bring this back to a marketing perspective again. Mm-hmm. Um, looking into the next year or so, um, what do you see as the opportunity for premium finance in general? Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you see the best growth? Um, Ooh, that's a good question. I think you know there's a reason why traditional premium financing has stayed the course because it's always going to be a way for the client to free up their cash flow, whether or not. You know, I think you know one of the worries I think that a lot of people out there are thinking is our interest rates going to go up. And of course, if I could get into my crystal ball and, and look in and say, see what it was, what it would be, you know, it's hard to tell. I mean, interest rates are still historically low, um, and you know, obviously we're going into an election year. Um, you know, and, and, and markets have been fairly volatile, but at the same time, you know, I would say borrowing rates have stayed fairly steady. I mean, they're slowly ticking up, but we're not seeing the type of, you know, uptick in rates that we've seen. So I think the opportunity really is just having that conversation um, because it's become very popular. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's being talked about quite a bit, and, and if you're not talking to your clients about it or the producers aren't talking to their clients about it, then somebody else is. They're either hearing about it on the golf course, they're hearing about it, at a happier, they're hearing about it at a conference. Um, you know, they're they're talking about it and, and wondering, well, wait a minute, why didn't my advisor tell me about this? Well, I thought it was interesting that you said something earlier that most of the product that you're seeing now is actually indexed UL. So it's sort of a there's this convergence of premium finance with a very hot market segment in the life insurance market that continues to grow, and this may be part of what's fueling that as well, because these are obviously not small, inconsequential cases, so. No, there are average, well, our average case size is a million dollars. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, we, we spend just as much time as we do on a $100,000 case as we would on a $2 million case that just 
tends to be where our numbers fall, you know, in terms of, of the type of business that we do. But um, you, you're right. I mean, and, and the other thing that, that I hear a lot of times, you know, from, from advisors and, and producers is that they'll, um, you know, bring up the conversation or start talking about premium finances. said, okay, well, based on the conversation that we've had before, where we've talked about the, the amount of life insurance you need, but here was your budget. How about we look at the actual coverage you need? Maybe it's, you know, they needed, they could only, you know, not afford, but <clears throat> their budget was to write for $5 million, but now they're at $10 million. Then now they can afford it by doing finance. I apologize. And I know, you know, I know I personally have brought cases to you that, you know, the agent was just shooting in the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, that has to be frustrating for you because I'm sure you get a lot of stuff that comes across your desk that you can probably tell early on that this is going nowhere. <laughs> but you're asked to put your time and energy into these cases, as Jeff and I are, when you know that the agent doesn't know what he's getting into. Talk to me about just the frustration of... It's you not know. necessarily frustrating. I would say use me as a filter. You know, I, I mean, the last thing I want is for, um, you know, the advisor to end up being frustrated with the process, you know, just, and, and I'll be brutally honest. I mean, if, if you know, if, if there's a case, you know, send me the I got a guy scenarios, let's talk through it. And if, you know, I really don't think it's going to fit the model or fit the mold, then I'm going to tell you straight out. Um, but, you, you know, and I think, too, I think it's it's an education process over time. You know, when you, you, you hear about premium financing one way or you hear about premium financing another way, and then, you know, you talk to your client about it, but then it doesn't quite fit, you know, the characteristics or the, the, the mold, that, you know, in terms of us as a lender would accept it, then I could see how that would be frustrating. And I think sometimes, too, the advisors put the cart before the horse. You know, they sell the financing before they actually sell the life insurance. And I really think you got to go in and, you know, talk to them about the life insurance, establish that, get that set and then figure out how you want to pay it and then structure the financing from there. And I think if you take that approach, then the, the quality of the cases, you know, that it, the advisor will bring in and want to send to the lender will be a lot better. I think if they do kind of that prep work, but, you know, more than happy to filter through some of those. I and mean, that's, that's my job, definitely, is just to filter through all that. So, you know, and I think over time, just, you know, from an education standpoint, you know, just... Um, figuring out, you know, where are the opportunities, but where, what are the right questions to ask? Because I think that's where probably some of the frustration is, is that they're not asking the right questions, and so they're not getting a complete picture, getting all the information, and sometimes the clients aren't giving them the whole picture either. You know, they're coming and thinking, oh, this, this is a great prospect. And then we'll start to get into it, and we'll start looking at financials, and it turns out this client's like completely illiquid. You know, they're tied up in a business that's you know, they can't get access anything out of, and, and really they're just not ended up being a good candidate. So unfortunately what's happened is the advisor's gone in and sold premium finance before really being able to look Interesting. at the finances and really see whether or not this client was a good client, you know, was a, was a good candidate for it. So now the client's like, the client's like wait a minute, but you told me I could get financing, and now you're saying I can't get it. And so that, I think that's where there, there tends to be frustration for everybody. So... Uh, if you were able to uh, eliminate something that you don't like about the industry or premium financing in general, what what would you want to change going forward? Oh gosh, that is a good question. You know, I will say that I feel like um, a lot of times you can get caught up in the rate game. Um, 
you know, where because borrowing rates have been historically low um, for quite some time, that it's there's this race out there to get the cheapest rate. And this, this um, sort of theory that the cheapest rate means the best deal for the client, and that's not actually the case. You know, I really think that, um, you know, when you get into the rate game, it might not always be the best deal because the always thing, thing I always ask is, you know, well, that's a great rate, but well, what's the cost? What are the rest of the terms? And um, no, I would just say that it, it, it becomes, you know, uh, chase, let's chase the rate. And when you get to that, then you go, well, what strings are attached to that rate? And when you start looking at the fees, um, the restrictions in the loan documents, you know, essentially making it very inflexible for the client. And, and if they're not really asking the client and looking at the overall structure of the financing, um, then, then rate becomes a non-factor. I mean, rates are going to be good regardless. They're still very well below their histor historical highs or historical averages. So, you know, then I think you got into to talking about structure. Well, that comes back to, was it sold right? Did they sell the life insurance? Mm -hmm. Do they have the right kind of prospect? Is it someone where they can write the check and it's an opportunity cost situation? Right. Or are they just struggling to find a way to pay for what they need in terms of life insurance? So. If they've got the right client, um, hopefully, you know, and they've sold the life insurance properly, hopefully they're not so focused on the rate game because then it just, does this make sense right. uh, from an opportunity cost standpoint to, right. to finance it. So, I think of agents that are going to be engaging in this podcast, that premium financing is almost like a foreign language to them, would benefit from hearing the basics of what are the steps when you know start to finish mm -hmm. where does first funding come in in the process and just kind of laying out a, a 101 sure. and I'll tell you from the perspective of first funding and we're a slightly different model because we are a direct lender so we're not we don't work in a broker capacity we're not what we call an aggregator which means that we would shop it out to multiple lending sources nor are we a program um, where you know we have you know, specified, you know, sort of entry costs or we'll take a split of the case. That's, that's, we are direct lender, we are a bank. Um, so you can come direct to us as a lender. So that just to kind of lay that groundwork. Um, you know, once the, you, once the client said yes, and I would, you know, you want to move forward with, with financing the premium, what we have, we have a credit application and a broker profile. You would send it to our new business team and I'm more than happy to send all that information out. We can talk about that tomorrow. Um, and so what happens is once that credit app goes in, and I would say the more complete package you have to send in to new business, the easier the process is. Um, and we have a great little process document um, that I can actually share with everyone um, that kind of talks about the pitfalls along the way, things that you should anticipate so that you reduce the frustration. Um, so what happens is it goes into our new business team. New business team reviews the information, you know, and that means financials, tax returns, you know, everything that's been sent in, uh, proof of liquidity or verification of income, that kind of thing. Um, assuming that we have everything and everything's in good order, we would send out an offer letter. And the offer letter would say, would state our terms. And uh, we're very transparent. So, you know, there we, have, we don't charge any fees. We don't charge any prepayment penalties. There's no additional cost other than what the rate is. Um, so the, that, that goes out. Client says, yes, I'm ready to move forward. Signs the offer letter, sends it back in. We start to prepare documents. And so we prepare a loan package. We send out the loan package, start getting the collateral assignment, 
make sure everything's set to go with the carrier, with the product. Um, you know, we need verification of collateral. We get all of that signed. They get everything signed in. Once we do that, we get we get the signed collateral assignment from the carrier. We're ready to fund. And I mean, it, 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 I've simplified it a little bit because a lot of times, you know, there can be some holdups in the process. A lot of times when you're, you know, maybe the client, you know, is taking a long time to sign or maybe they need their lawyer to review it. More, more than okay with that, but sometimes we'll stretch out the process. Um, sometimes if there's multiple policies involved and we have to get multiple collateral assignments or maybe it's a carrier that we haven't worked with. Um, and so we have to have that, you know, get sign off, or the carrier sometimes has to sign off on our collateral assignment form, those types of things. Those are some of those little things that can happen along the way. But really, I mean, it's just the quality of the information that we have, we review. Say, once we send out an offer letter, you know, subject to those, the terms, you know, we're more than happy to get that loan package together, get it signed, and fund that premium. What are the biggest glitches that sabotage case that's been submitted? Is it getting a letter of credit? Is it, uh, I guess, what are the common things that you see that sort of... Uh, just not sending in enough information. Um, you know, a lot of times, and, and on occasion we'll do what we call a conditional offer letter. So, you know, we'll say, you know, based on the information we've seen, we feel comfortable putting it out, but, you know, this isn't set in stone until we have these items, that kind of thing. Um, but a lot of times it's just, you know, not being it. or what will happen is what they've stated on their personal financial statement doesn't necessarily match up to the what they they're able to provide to support the items that they put on there. Um, sometimes it's, uh, you know, sometimes a glitch is that they've had a bankruptcy or I mean, we do need a credit worthy client, you know, someone's had a lot of, you know, uh, issues or has bad credit, you know, obviously as a bank, we're not going to necessarily want to lend them a million dollars. Um, so, you know, those types of things come up. Sometimes it's, um, you know, comes up and is a collateral issue. Um, you know, we'll get down the road and, and we'll go to say, hey, your additional collateral due, here's what we need. And then the client's like, eh, I don't know if I want to put that up there anymore. So those are sometimes some of those things come up, but most of the time we can work through them. Okay. Letters of credit actually one of the easiest form it's nice that you brought that up because we do take a letter of credit as and that's what's most commonly used um you know for additional collateral due because it's very easy for the client to get a letter of credit mm -hmm. um, and we have assignments with most every uh, large institution what about you know working with agents that are motivated by the super sized commission i mean you know we're looking at five or ten times the normal commission for an agent which is could be a good thing, mm -hmm. but people that are motivated to pad their own pocketbook and maybe not approaching premium financing because it's really the right solution for their clients. Do you run into that? Sure. We just will, but we say very agnostic. So uh, we will review the situation based on purely from the lending perspective and we'll leave the life insurance to... To, to them, you know, and, and, and how that works. And a lot of times if, if that is happening, um, you know, usually cracks will start to form. You know, if it's, uh, you know, sometimes if they're trying to borrow way more than their net worth, um, you know, we see that. That's obviously not something that's going to continue to move forward. Um, you know, we'll do our own, do, we'll do our due diligence from the lending side. And if there is something where, you know, either the client's being oversold you know, it's somewhere it comes comes along. If either from the carrier side or from our side, you know, then then we'll we'll find we'll find the chinks in the armor. We'll put it that way. 
Well, it looks like we're actually heading into uh, pretty close to our 30-minute time frame. So that was time, a quick 30 minutes. Time flies, actually, yeah. So <laughs> When you're having fun talking about premium finance, yeah. <laughs> the exciting world of premium finance. <laughs> I know. I mean, everybody's jealous. I'm sure they want to do this now. <laughs> well, that's kind of the goal is hopefully we, uh, we get you a little, you know, um, enticement by having your interview on, uh, on our podcast. So, um, well, anyways, I think we're going to just come and wrap it up. But uh, if there's one piece of advice to a new agent that's trying to uh, start off with their first premium finance case, what would that be? I would say seek resources, you know, um, you know, utilize the resources at ECA, um, leverage their, leverage is a great word, leverage, leverage ECA's relationships and contacts and um, educate yourself. I mean, it, there's a lot of resources out there really to talk about the concept. The concept itself is not, I don't think it's a very complicated concept. I think it's made complicated. Um, and then, you know, once you've had started to have that conversation, really educate yourself on the process. And I think, um, you know, being able to tap into the resources of ECA is, is going to be a huge benefit. Great. Well, thanks, Amanda, for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, guys. Are you independent? Be a part of the cutting edge in fixed life and annuity marketing for the independent agent and advisor. Discover the ECA Advantage, where you'll find the marketing systems, training, products, compensation, and expert support you need to take your business to the next level. Sign up for your free ECA agent account to get access to ECA's Knowledge is Power 2016 Keynote Speaker Video Series. For more information, call ECA Marketing today at 800-356-4189 and ask for your marketer or visit ecamarketing.com. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Find out more about the quantum marketing system at quantummarketingsystem.com.